Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Thursday morning. Before I do any college, let me see if I can do the Parsha this week. I mean the Haftorah. I'll be honest with you, I uh, just thought about it and I saw it's Parsha's Torah. But meanwhile, I'm more interested in doing the uh, regular Parsha of um, Kisiso because it has something uh, that I can uh, say. Maybe if I have opportunity later, possibly I'll do one of Parsha's Parah. Um, but this is being sponsored by the Obersteins, by Sruli Oberstein, actually, in honor of his father's birthday, Rabbi Hanna Oberstein, his birthday is today. So, uh, so that's happy birthday, number one. And he's one of my uh, listeners and friends and gadflies and, and so forth. And uh, historians, anything you want to know about the Oberstein family, he'll tell you. And the Seagulls. Uh, and uh, I'm happy to do this. And let me get down to business now because I have school coming up later. And I'll get right to the point, which is that we all know. I think you know, even though it's going to be Pasha's part. But I believe everybody listening to this knows that the usual Haftor is the one about Elion Novi and the confrontation in Mount Carmel, Har Carmel, with the 400 priests of the Baal, right? So I think you know, this is taken during the time of Achov. It's in the 18th chapter of uh, Melochim Aleph, and it's taking place in the time of Achov, who was the wicked king, and who stamped out uh, Yiddishkeit uh, the best he could. At least that's the way it's told, although it's actually more complicated than that, uh, as I spoke about in the past. But um, at this point, uh, Achav, uh, you know, put set a ball and a share everywhere and Jezebel, and they killed out the Frum, they killed out the prophets, except those that were hidden by Ovadia. I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so it was a reign of terror on the Frum, and uh, idolatry was riding high, and the Jewish people went along with it, and uh, clearly, as I've made the case before, it was a very powerful syncretism in which they believe in God, sort of, but they also believe in an idol. Ah, you'll tell me that's inconsistent. If one believes in God, the definition of it is means you do not believe in an idol. I understand from a philosophical, intellectual point what you're talking about, but people are people, and they don't give a hoot for philosophy. The Hamunam, and even beyond that, even the elite sometimes, they have, you know, multiply conflicting belief systems. I think we all have that to some degree. Not with Avodah Zarah, I hope, but, you know, with other things over there, think of politically. Uh, I know Rabbi Oberstein has his conflicted political opinions on different aspects, especially regarding to Israel. And so, uh, you know, it's part of life. Now, here's the point, which interests me. Now, I'm saying this under the influence of the fact that uh, this coming Mosi Shabbos, Saturday night, I have, I'm resuming my lecture series, I hope, at Shomri. I have two more to go, and we'll get them done. And I'll be talking about American Jews and their Judaism in the 90s, which means you're talking about uh, the direction of Orthodox Judaism and other Judaisms in the United States in the late 20th century. And indeed, you know, um, in our lifetime, Orthodoxy has, has taken, as, as uh, by historical necessity, had to take a certain direction, uh, a kind of exclusive and radical direction. 
to put in very, and then I'll show you how it applies with Elia Novi. To in in in, in my opinion, uh, if you go back long ago, let's say I'm using Baltimore because that's where I come from. That's the experience. But it's the same thing in New York and Chicago and elsewhere. Uh, if you were talking about Orthodox shuls a hundred years ago, there were lots of them. Uh, but many of the people there were not really Shomer Shabbos and that sort of thing. They had stores open on Saturday or this, that, and the other. And they did keep kosher. They didn't keep kosher. This kind of kosher, that kind of kosher. As for Taras Mishpacha, forget about it. That's the way it was. But it's still an Orthodox shul. They had a, a separate seating at that time. And the Orthodox rabbi. And the, the prayers and all the rest of it. So, um, and I remember those shuls from my youth, as I say. And, and I'm not that old. Um... Uh, now, in those shuls of yesteryear, if the rabbi would try to push, I mean, I know what I'm talking about. If the rabbi would try to push things too far to the right, the Balabatim would protest. So if they would say, for example, um, I'm just making something up, you know, in order to get an Ali after Yashomer Shabbos or something like that, he'd get fired. I mean, you know, all hell would break loose. If you try to, you know, Say that, uh, you know, I don't know, women should cover their hair, something like that. There are limits, man, which you couldn't go. And plenty of rabbis were fired, by the way. And what that means is that even though theoretically, as I've made the case here many times, the ideal Jewish community is one that has the right, the left, and middle in it. The Hasidim on the right, and I mean the word Hasidim in the old sense, in other words, the Frumis on the right, who really care, and Medoctic, those on the left, who are the opposite of that, and the middle is floating, hopefully be more influenced by the right wing than the left wing, but they'll never be the right wing. So that's the Katoris model, and that's the Arbaminim, um, the Lul Vesser, Gadas, and Robus model. And I pointed out in the past, in Masilis and elsewhere, that this is actually considered, in the old Judaism, an ideal. Not that everybody's from... But that the shul and the community con, con, includes people that are more observant, people that are less observant, and so forth. But but this is dependent on a certain hierarchical set of relationships, which is not what it tells you in the old farm. It took it for granted. And that is that everyone agrees that the right way to be is, you know, more to the right. It's just that me, myself, and I don't do this. So it could be, for example, that was a type of Jew, and there were plenty like this, that I recognized that I should not have my store open on Shabbos. That's a bummer. But listen, it's America. Got to make a living. Most of my customers come Friday night, whatever. You know, whatever the arguments are. Therefore, I have to do it. I'm not saying I'm right. And I, myself, knew plenty of people like this who sent their kids to day schools and yeshivas. And I don't even know if the children, certainly grandchildren, don't know. You know, that the grandparents had businesses open on Shabbos, all the rest of it, but the kids are in Lakewood. I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. You understand? And that's because they understood that circumstances were such that they're in a situation that they feel they have to uh, violate this mitzvah or that mitzvah, but it's not an ideal. Okay? Now, that's okay with me, but what happened in America and what happens generally in, in, in the modern times is that what is considered B'dyev, it soon moves to L'Chadchila. That, you know, I don't want to be criticized for keeping my store up on the Shabbos. And I don't want my wife to be criticized for, you know, buying meat here or there. And I don't want anybody to criticize, you know, in other words, we're doing the right thing. Maybe we're not perfect, 
were perfectly legitimate. Uh, this was a problem in the synagogues in America of old. And very often, the shul was composed mostly of those type of people. The Shomer Shabbos from element was a minority. And the ones who, who, who ran the show, who were the president, the chairman, board of directors, and the people who, who you know, called the shots, were not from. And therefore, with their biggest fear is the rabbi should push things too much to the right. I'm serious, I was really afraid. So then, this, the necessary set of hierarchical relationships was not in place, and the result was a perversion of orthodoxy, which is why the type of shuls that I'm talking about, which were everywhere, um, 100 years ago, 80 years ago, 70 years ago, basically no longer exist. They've all gone out of business for a whole bunch of reasons that I hope to talk about on Saturday night. They don't exist. I always say, and I'm sure I've said on the podcast before, that me, myself, and I living in Baltimore, when I was a kid, I can think of 30 or 40 shoals that used to exist that no longer do because they were of the type that I just described. On the other hand, I can think of 30 or 40 shoals that have popped up brand new ever since the 70s or the 80s and are still popping up as we speak, but they're from. They're a different type of Orthodox shul, okay? Uh, I, some shuls pop up here with hundreds of members from day one in Baltimore. Now, uh, I'm the same Baltimore, the same as everywhere else, but I'll just give you an example. So, what happened, therefore, in the course of the 20th century, and in some places a little bit in the 19th century, but very little, was that sort of organically, without articulating it, the Orthodox had to take a radical position. And that was, instead of the open tent, and we want everybody in, and everybody should be part of this, which is a Claudius Yisrael type attitude, and we want to help every Jew, and the idea goes like this, you will help 100%. You will help 80%, and you will help 20 or, or, or 15%. You know, a little more Yiddish guy. This person will, will, will be in the Hever in, in the Shaz. And that guy will will just attend services once in a while. Come Rosh Hashanah Kippur, as he used to say. Come on the holidays. And that's good, too, because every little bit you can give is good. That is indeed the old model. But it didn't work when the hierarchical set of relationships broke down. Then what happened was that the Orthodox shows, without you know stating it, basically adopted a policy in which this show is only for the from. Now we're not going to kick anybody out, but uh, you're not going to become a member if you're Michal Shabbos, okay? Unless there's one or two of you, but if there's more than that, you know you shouldn't have any influence. Uh, again, you're welcome to come and daven, but they won't. Generally speaking, they'll feel very uncomfortable. And so that whole element of the non-observant Orthodox, at least in my observation, has really shrunk to almost nothing, whereas once upon a time it was the majority. And that's because the Frum, you know, it's through a sociological process in the course of the 20th century and now the 21st century, had to say that we are reorganizing Orthodox Judaism to it's only for the really from meaning at least those who are Shomer Shabbos, as we'd say today. Shabbos, Kashrus, Taras, Mishpacha. 
beyond that, we can negotiate. But, you know, those three. And if you don't subscribe to those, and you have an intention to, you know, push against those, we don't want you. Go to Reform. Go to Conservative. Go to wherever you want. Don't come to my show. Now, it's actually a very un-Jewish attitude, but it made perfect sense in terms of the sociology of the 20th century. Why am I saying all this? This is what happened to Yonovi. It's very interesting. He is clearly a radical, and he says something that you won't find anybody else saying in the whole Tanakh. And that is, he speaks to the Jewish people famously, as I think we know. He gathers them all together at Har Carmel. Achav is there, the Nevi Abal are there, the whole Kali Yisrael is there. And he says, On Mosai Asem Poskim Ashtay Asipim, Im Abal Wilhim Tavodosov, Amshem Wilhim Tavodosov. How long are you going to play dance at two weddings? How long are you going to keep your feet on two different roads? Poskim Ashtay Asipim. To me, it means how long are you going to have one foot? Uh, let's say I'm living in Baltimore. How, how far are you going to have one foot head, you know, heading? north to New York, and the second foot heading west to, to L.A. I mean, where are you going? Are you going to New York? Are you going to L.A.? You can't go both. You'll tear yourself apart. Physically, you can't do it. So you got to make a choice. And make the doggone choice. I don't care what it is. If you really believe in Baal, go for it. Which is pretty shocking. How can a from Jew, let alone a Navi, say, if you believe in Baal, go for it. Uh, but Elio is a radical. And he says that uh, we've got to, we have no choice but to get rid of the syncretism by saying that Judaism is only going to include those people who are not at the ball. Okay, we'll lose a lot of people. It's necessary because then at least we'll have the hardcore and we can build up with them. Now this is so shocking that the uh, Targum Yonason, uh, I'm sure I said in the past, which is you know in the old days. When they read the Haftorah, so that's in Hebrew. And then they have the Targum, which is read out loud to the people in the shul who are of the type that I said before. They're not of the modern type from the 20th century in which radical choices are made. And you know, either you're Orthodox or you're not Orthodox. If, if you want to be one of these traditional type guys that drives on Shabbos, all the rest of it, basically we don't want you in our shul. Now, they don't, well, no one will ever say that and nobody's ever going to kick anybody up. But the but the clear cultural message is, if you want to drive this shul, if you want to be Mechal Shabbos, all the rest of it, this ain't the place for you. You see? This ain't the place for you. Um, certainly not in any numbers. Because once you get large numbers of these people, then they push for their direction. I'm sure I, I told you a story, I'm sure I've said it more than once, that I had a friend, a friend, a guy I met at a conference in a certain in a university, uh, I sat next to him for lunch, and he was a big uh, philosophy professor, I believe, in some Ivy League university. I don't want to get too specific. And we were talking and so forth. I, I, and I, clearly he was like, you know, from or from-ish or something like that. And even though he was a philosophy professor, and it just so happens that that week I happened to see online in the foreword that he had written a uh, article uh, called How the Conservative Movement Left Me. Because he was from conservative family. And he says I'm from conservative family. But, uh, and, but you know, uh, it was a bummer because we were the only family that kept anything. We wanted to keep the mitzvahs. And nobody else did. And we looked weird. And finally, I went, you know, I think even my advisor said go to, for a year to Israel to a Orthodox yeshiva. 
and something like that. And so when he grew up and got married, they decided to go to some very modern Orthodox show in Manhattan. Um, okay. Um, and what he said was the conservative movement never did anything for people like me, the ones who want to keep mitzvahs. Instead, they did for the feminists, for the women rabbis, things like that, but not for the people like me. So they lost me. Um, and my wife did the same thing. I were not crazy about separate seating. It's a price we're willing to pay so that we can have Shabbos and our kids can have people to play with and so on and so forth. That was the long and the short of it, as I recall. And a week later, the head of the conservative was a lady rabbi wrote in and said, how can you say that? I'm shocked you come from a conservative family, from, uh, you know, the inner circles. And, uh, you know, because his grandfather had been a conservative rabbi, his uncle was a conservative rabbi and so forth. And how can you say the feminist is like garnished? Uh, that's a major step forward for conservative Judaism. It's not a minor business. And uh, I can't believe that you have gender separation. You're sitting in a mechitza, uh, you know, and you're, and you're satisfied with that. I mean, how does that work? And, you know, it's a shock what you said. And he wrote back a week later and he said, I didn't say I'm crazy about it. I said, this is what we're willing to do um, to have the benefits of an observant uh, community in terms of comradeship. But with, from within the shul, I fight for my own ideals. Thanks a lot. So that means in the shul, next time that they'll have another rabbi, it was a left-wing Orthodox shul, they'll push for a rabbi who will allow, you know, some kind of mixed seating or some variation thereof. Or whatever. Some kind of left-wing business. And he was a very nice person, but you can't help, you know, as they say, you can take Virginia out of Santa, you can take Santa Claus out of Virginia, you can't take Virginia out of Santa Claus, you know. You are what you are. So, Therefore, Elion Navi said like this, The Targum, which is meant for the public, cannot be the, the, the Targumist, the guy in Shul who is saying over for the audience in the synagogue, Yerzim Rezil, in other words, uh, what the Hebrew text is saying, cannot bring himself to use the radical language of Elion Navi, because that didn't go in the old from circles, the old traditional circles. In Hebrew, it says, How long will you stand on two different roads? Uh, How long are you going to be on two different halakim? Which he translates it, Hashem is the real God. Serve Him alone. Why are you going after Baal? Which is stupid. Well, that's not a translation. Translation was, if if it's Hashem, go for that. If it's a Baal, go for that. But you see, the Targumists couldn't do it. It's a very interesting historical phenomenon. Because it went so much against the grain of the old traditionalists, which is we want everybody to have a little bit of Judaism. And like I said before, if we give you 3 or 4%, that's also good. But we found, or LEO found, that that's counterproductive. Because as long as the people you know, can also do the Baal, that'll be the predominant element, the Judaism will be a small element, and it will end up that the Baal stuff will influence the Hashem stuff instead of the other way around. And therefore, he said, well, you have to make two two communities. Those, Hashem Elohim so step to my right. Then step to the left. And unfortunately, the Kala Yisrael has to divide along these lines. <coughs> you give up <coughs> your unity, that's true, but is it necessary uh, to save the rest? You see? So you have over here a most unusual example of uh, religious radicalism, 
But we who live in the 20th and 21st century can understand this because we've seen it. Theoretically, theoretically, um, everybody would agree to what I just, the following. There should be a big show. It should have a lot of Jews. From and not from. The show should be run by the from. The non-from should come and participate in the services to the degree that they wish and not try to influence you know, the, the, the course and the policy of the show. You know what I'm saying? The policy of the show. Uh, you're more than welcome. And please come to the Kiddush and the Shalashot is all the rest of it. Please come if you want to brotherhood activities and all the rest of it. No problem whatsoever. Please come whenever you're able to, whenever you feel like it. Please come for Shachar's Mechamarev any time of the week. And uh, and please sell your comments and, you know, so forth and so on. Uh, but don't try to say, you know, that the shul should not talk about Tarz Mishpacha, you see? Or the shul should not advocate against driving on Shabbos. If you drive, you drive. Okay, you know, in other words, that's your personal choice. Whatever the situation is. But don't say that we cannot criticize that. You understand? Or anything along the lines that violates the Torah, whether it's in, uh, you know, uh, gender issues, whether this issue, that, whatever it is, the the, the show or the community, whatever, should stand for what it stands for, 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 for Torah values. Uh, and everybody should be, you know, and everybody should be, but now it doesn't work like that. Like I said before, not in the United States of America and not in England, not in other places now. If I become a dues-paying member, I want to say, and just like you push for your ideals, I push for my ideals. So then, a house divided against itself cannot stand, as Abraham Lincoln said. And then you have the problems of the 20th and 21st century, uh, which is a subject their honorary Rabbi Oberstein knows a lot about. And uh, this is a problem. Now, what happened in the end? Elio, it's just interesting. Elia Novi makes a dramatic presentation, and he says, go for Hashem or go for the Baal. Because he does a miracle with the fire coming down and consuming the uh, the sacrifice, so all the Baal worshippers drop their thing, and they say, Hashem Elohim. We, we sign up on the from team. In other words, it's like a guy would make a fantastic speech in a show, and as a result, everybody stands up and says, yes, we're going to close the business on Shabbos, we're going to stop driving, we're going to do this, and from now on, we're going to keep everything. That would be a fantastic speaker who did that, but it wouldn't stand, it wouldn't last. Nothing permanent lasts from a speech. You get it? The way Orthodox Judaism, from Judaism, built in America, not from a speeches, however eloquent, it's from schools. It's from chinuch, from things like that, and all kind of other frameworks, camps, and who knows what, uh, youth groups. And not from a speech. So in other words, one big miracle is not going to do the trick, even though it certainly worked for a minute. The, the, the Haftorah ends in the middle of the story, because that's how Haftorahs go sometimes, which is, you know, they want to end on a good note. And sometimes, I think you know, they'll even uh, find the last Pusik, uh, you know, so bad that they'll just add on to it, append to it, a uh, another Pusik, you know what I mean, uh, from, from, from another uh, 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 Parsha. Now, it's out of order. So in our case, this particular chapter actually goes 40, 46 psukim. But the Haftarah ends in, in Pasuk 39. So temporarily, Elio won. 
If you know how the rest of the story goes, later on he perceives that it was just temporary and that really all those people who said, we're closing the store in Shabbos, we're not going to worship Baal anymore, all the rest of it, that was like a temporary emotional reaction, but it wasn't a long-term decision. Anybody in the Kira business, and I'm not, but I know there are people listening here, among others who are in the Kira business, will tell you, a one-time flash-in-the-pan business is fine, but it, it doesn't last. You need, as we would say today, field work. You understand? You have to be Makar of people. You have to get to know them. You have to have them come to different activities. You have to discuss at great length different things with them. And even after they make a decision necessarily to change their lifestyle, they'll still have backsliding and questions and things like this. And and that's normal. That's part of the way it goes. And, uh, you know, over the whole pattern, you hope that the uh, that the observance will kick in. Hashem Elkim Hashem that happened at that time, while it was triumphant for a moment, was not triumphant in the long run, which is why Elia Navi gets depressed and runs away to Harsina and has a whole bunch of separate adventures. But you do see here, at least to me, this week, in this a famous story in the Tanakh, which is the Haftorah Parshish Kisiso every year, uh, you see uh, the first example that I can think of anyway of a religious radicalism uh, of the type which says that, you know, those who can't toe the line, get out of here. Hashem Elkim, but don't have this business where you do both Hashem Elkim and Baal. That I don't want. And don't take the attitude, hey, at least they keep something. You know, at least they keep half of Shabbos. At least they come to Shul. At least, you know, uh, one of their children married you. You know, that, that whole at least business. Uh, Eliana wasn't ha- having any of that. And that's the name of his character. Anyway, once again, I wish a happy birthday to Rabbi Oberstein. And we thanks Rolly and the family for sponsoring. And uh, as for Parshas Parat Torah, I'll see if I find somebody. We'll, 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 we'll talk about that later, maybe. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.com dot rabbi david